It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. One thing that I found myself struggling with, maybe I'm just hyper aware of it. I don't know if it's a recent thing, but I have noticed it and it feels like a weight on my shoulders, on my heart almost every day is clutter. I don't know if I've become someone who doesn't tidy up as often. I'm not quite sure. This is something I'm hoping to better understand about myself and help you understand about yourself too with the guest Krista today, who specializes in helping people, especially mothers, declutter. And I'm so curious to find out from you, Krista, why clutter is something important to you. How did this become your passion, interest, specialty? And is this something new? Is this something that's always been part of your life? Have you always been good at decluttering? Or did you become passionate about helping others because you had to learn it yourself? Okay, those are good questions. And the first thing I wanted to tell you, because I hear this from moms all the time, whether they say it like explicitly or I kind of read between the lines, like I'm going to do just now. So tell me if it's inaccurate, but... You said that you're, you know, you're not sure if you like stopped tidying up as much or, you know, you're more sensitive to it now or what. And the thing about clutter is that oftentimes it makes us think or believe things about us that aren't true. Like I'm lazy or I'm unorganized or I'm chaotic or I'm too, I'm distracted or I'm ADD or ADHD, which you might be, have that diagnosis. but our clutter makes us think those things about us. And we like internalize these messages about us. And a lot of times it's our stuff. It's not you, it's your stuff. So I like to tell moms, especially like that, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not a bad mom. You're not a a bad housekeeper or anything like that. You're not a bad adult. You probably just have too much stuff. (laughs) So did that, did that ring true at all for you? Yes. Well, I just love that in general because I feel like it is so common for people to say things about themselves based on the external. And my big passion is letting go of the external as much as possible and focusing on their internal. So I'm so glad that you do that too. And for me, I'm not a mom. And maybe sometimes that actually makes it feel worse because I feel like I have so much flexibility in my life. I work for myself. I create my own schedule. I don't have children. I don't have a lot of obligations. So maybe in a way, on some level without even realizing it, I have felt worse about clutter because I think, well, I have no excuse. What's getting in the way? But I do fall on the ADHD spectrum. I've recently learned about myself. And I think that feels like part of the reason I struggle with it because it gets really overwhelming. I see things like, you know, right now on the side, for anyone who's 
not watching the video. I will organize and declutter the area that my camera covers when I'm recording the podcast. But like so many people who make videos outside of the camera, it's a completely different story. And it's not that bad, but I get anxious about things being on the floor, things being not put away. And it creates this tension within me of feeling like frustrated with myself. And it's like this beating myself up, kind of maybe these old stories of, well, you're lazy, or why can't you just get your act together? It should be easy for you. These messages that people have told me throughout my whole life, verbally, and especially my mom, (laughs) like for her, she's really into tidying. And this is something I'm curious about, Krista, too, from a parenting perspective, because I feel like there's this cliche Not sure if it's a generational thing, but for my mom and for a lot of people around my age, it's like being shamed for not making your bed, being shamed for not tidying your room, having mothers that pride themselves in the house being clean. And you would think maybe that would teach you to not be cluttered. You'd be kind of molded by that. But I think there's a lot of people like myself who feel relief now that I don't live with my mom after many years later. I don't know if I'm rebelling sometimes like, oh, well, I don't have to make my bed and I don't have to tidy up. So I'm going to rebel against how I was raised and just leave things flung around. But I still have that inner voice of shame feeling like I should be tidying. Is that something common that you hear? Yes, it is. So I would say it's almost 50-50 of people who grew up with a parent or parents, could be one or both, or maybe a step-parent or something, who put that kind of pressure or expectation or maybe was a little obsessive about it, maybe was a little overbearing about it. And then they grow up to be adults who either, you know, run themselves into the ground because they're trying to keep up with that expectation because it's so ingrained in them and they want to please or they want to get the approval of their parents, right? Or they go the opposite direction. And, you know, they're like, I'm not doing this. I don't have to do this. And (laughs) I think the goal for all of us is to like find a way to make peace with that and realize that at the end of the day, you know, we love our parents. We came from our parents, but We also are our own people and we don't owe them anything, including however it is that we choose to live. And I will also say that like on my end, I grew up in a very messy, chaotic, cluttered house. And so I fell into the same kind of pattern where I was like, okay, so that's how I grew up. Like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to buy the kids all the things because that's how we show love, right? (laughs) And keep it all because what if we need it and, you know, we don't have enough money to not keep it. And so I did that for a long time and I've come to a place where I feel good about it for myself, where it's like, I know that's how I grew up and not saying it's perfect by any means, but I can acknowledge it and I can recognize the patterns that I fell into that were harmful and hurtful to myself and my kids and corrected them. But it's taken a long time. It's taken, it's been nine years since I decluttered our house. So (laughs) it's been a long time of like working through it and trying to understand it and then Helping other moms has helped me, you know, understand my experience better too. So yeah. And if you want, I can go back and answer your question about like, how did I actually get into this? (laughs) So as a kid, I do think that it was kind of always in me. 
I am into astrology. I'm a Virgo. So part of it, I think I have like that just in me. I'm also the oldest child. So I probably have that kind of responsibility ingrained in me as well. But growing up in a cluttered, messy house, I remember like the days that I would be babysitting my younger siblings, looking around at the house and knowing that my mom was going to come home and she was going to be upset about the messy house and how nobody ever helps clean up, right? She's the one that has to do everything. Everything's always a mess. And so I would take on the responsibility of like, get the house clean before she gets home. And I didn't have full ownership of the house or the stuff in it. So I couldn't, and I don't think I knew the skill set of like decluttering or organizing, but I did what I could. And I tried to make the house feel good is really what I was trying to do. I was trying to make it so that when my mom came home, it was like, oh, the house is nice. We can play, right? Or the house is nice. We can go somewhere. Or at the bare minimum, oh, the house is nice. Like she's not going to be in a bad mood. And so I did that a lot when I was younger. And so I think part of me, it affected me however it affected me, whether it's just who I am inside, because I don't think my other siblings took it on themselves to do those kinds of things, but I did. And then as I grew up and started having my own kids, I fell into the same kind of patterns of having a house that was full of a lot of stuff is really overwhelming. I would, as we had more kids, we would accumulate more stuff and I would go to work and then I would come home and I would kind of be in that same cycle that I grew up in where my mom would come home from work. She'd be like, oh my gosh, we have to clean the house. Like I just worked all day. The last thing I want to do is clean the house, but nobody ever helps me. Everything's always a mess. And that's the cycle I was in. And I didn't realize it. And it's a very exhausting cycle to be in, I think, whether you have kids or not, because I was in that cycle before I had kids too, where my weekends were just like, all right, time to catch up, (laughs) like time to catch up, especially if I was going to have friends over. It's like, get the house cleaned up before people come over. And then after they leave, you know, I have to spend all the time recovering because I'm like, I just shoved everything like into the closets and under the beds and wherever else I could. But yeah, it's a really exhausting cycle to be in. And I did not realize I was in it until in 2013. Yeah, it was 2013. At that point, my husband and I, we had three kids and living in Alaska, my husband's an entrepreneur. There's really only so much you can do. And he was like, what do you think if we just moved to a big city somewhere and I grew the business? And I was like, okay, like nobody does that. But then the next week he had an interview in Florida and he accepted it on the spot and Long story short, he had to be there the following week. And so then we were like, okay, so you have to be in Florida. We have three kids, a house full of stuff. I was also, I owned a preschool. So I had a whole nother building, thousand square foot building of school stuff that I had to get rid of. And when we started doing the math of like what it would cost to ship stuff from Alaska to Florida in all the different kinds of ways through moving company, shipping company, pallets, like the math didn't add up. It was more affordable to start over. And we didn't want to spend a whole lot of time apart as a family. So we were like, we're going to buy plane tickets. And in a month, like (laughs) we're all going to be living in Florida. So I stayed back and got rid of all of our stuff other than what fit into our suitcases, which was like some clothes and some toys. I did leave behind some boxes, like six or seven boxes of our sentimental things, like photos, baby books, you know, my husband's like letterman jacket that he cares about, (laughs) things like that to ship later. 
but we got rid of pretty much everything and rented a furnished house in Florida. So we didn't have to rush to get like beds or couches. And what happened when we got to Florida was like life got really easy for me. I went and I thought it was because, you know, going Alaska, like cold, dark winter all the time to living literally five minutes from the beach. I thought it was that. And I would go to work. I actually had to work two jobs. So I was working more in Florida away from my family. You know, I left my entire support system. My kids left all of their friends. I left all of my friends living in a brand new place, having culture shock because Alaska to Florida is completely different. Just it felt completely different. We even lived in a neighborhood where the kids, most of the kids spoke Spanish. And so even from that point, it was like, where are we? And on paper, I should have been struggling even more than I was in Alaska. But what happened was I would go to work, you know, we would go to work, come home at the end of the day. And it was easy to be home. Like it was easy to keep up on the dishes. It was easy to make dinner. It was easy to play with my kids. It was easy to like relax and reconnect at the end of the day. And then our weekends were even better because we could just go to the beach and come back. And again, like things in the house were taken care of. And the best way to describe it was, is that our house became a place that supported us and our family instead of being a place that was more work. Because I used to joke at my work that going to work was the easy part of my day. Going home was hard because I was like working so hard all day. And then I go home and I want to relax and I can't because I have laundry I'm behind on. I have dishes I'm behind on. I have piles of stuff everywhere that I need to get organized. Like the kids' toys are a mess and all over the place and I couldn't catch a break. (laughs) And I didn't realize what we were doing. I didn't realize, I don't even think that like decluttering or minimalism or simplifying was in my vocabulary. I didn't do it on purpose. And it took me several years, like four years actually, to realize like what had changed for us. And it wasn't that we lived at the beach. It wasn't the sun. It was because our house became that place, that place that we could relax and and retreat. And the only way I figured it out was I got pregnant again and I joined a due date group for anybody listening who doesn't know what that is. It's a Facebook group for people who are due in the same, like around the same time. So there was a bunch of us there who were pregnant at the same time. We got to know each other. And after we had the babies, the conversation started happening of like, is anybody else like feeling totally overwhelmed in their house? Like, does anybody else feel like the walls are closing in on them? They can't catch up. And so we started doing this thing called house tours where we would go live and show each other our houses. And the point of it was to be like, you're not alone, right? Like we all have messy houses and we do. Like the point of decluttering and everything I teach is not to have like a perfectly clean house. But when it got to be my turn and I showed them my house, they were like, hang on a second. Like, we all agreed that we would just show our houses as is. Like, we feel like you cleaned up before this. Like, where's all your messes? Where's all your stuff? And so I showed them. I'm like, this is all of our stuff. And that was when I started to like put the pieces together of like, with my first three kids, that's exactly how I felt. Like I'm laying down at the end of the day on a couch or a bed with a pile of clothes on it. And I have to decide, do I want to sleep next to these clothes or do I want to get up and put them away? (laughs) Right? Like, and so I started to understand like, this changed when we got rid of our stuff. And over those four years, we have accumulated a lot more stuff. Like obviously, if you're watching the video, like I'm in my basement where we have a literal gym 
full of like gym equipment and my kids have toys. Like I don't recommend having just a suitcase of stuff, but I did have a really unique experience of starting over and then living that way and never reaccumulating the clutter. I don't know exactly why we didn't reaccumulate our clutter because I know a lot of people will start over and then reaccumulate it all, but we didn't. And it might just be that we were broke or it might be that like my subconscious mind loved that space. But yeah, so then my friends were like, okay, so you didn't trick us, right? This is just how you live. So can you show us how to do it, please? And that's how I started. I'm like, heck yes. I'm like, of course I will. And so I just asked them like, what spaces do you want help with? I'll teach you how to declutter your dishes, your clothes, your toys, like piles of your, your kitchen counter. Like, what do you want? And and that's how it started. And it's been four years of me basically doing that on repeat of like, what do you need help with? I can help you. <laughs> and then showing them how. That is so cool. I love that story. And it, I have this whole visual of you traveling from Alaska to Florida and it's so fascinating on so many levels. And, and I find myself wanting to know exactly what you teach each person, which I know that you you share through your work, but maybe you could give us like a little light overview of some of the tips, because to me, I think it can't be that easy, <laughs> honestly, you know, because for me, generally, I declutter Either when, similar to you, I feel like I have to. Somebody's coming over and I want to impress them. I'm embarrassed. I declutter when I feel a lot of shame. And the shame is so overpowering that it feels like the only way to get rid of it is to declutter. I'll declutter when I feel group accountability, kind of what you're describing. I'm one of my groups that I lead called Beyond Measure. We have a week or a monthly kind of accountability session where everybody works on a project that they've been procrastinating. And usually my project is decluttering. <laughs> so, so that really helps me. But other than that, I struggle so much. It feels simple and yet hard at the same time. So I'm really curious how you help people overcome that. Before we get to that, though, there's one question on my mind is, is there a difference between being clean and tidy? Or are they, do they play a role? If there is a difference, are they, do they complement each other? Are they mutually exclusive? Do you need to be clean and tidy? Is, is there value to being one over the other for some reason. I would love to know how you view the two. Yes. Okay. So they are related. I actually will. I'm going to include a third because one of the core things that I do teach often is basic definitions because once you can understand what exactly these are and the differences, then you can start to like understand who you are and how you live. And then you can figure out things that might help you individually. So there's decluttering, there's organizing, and then there's cleaning. So decluttering is the literal act of getting things out of your house for good. It's getting rid of the excess. It's getting rid of duplicates. It's getting rid of you know things you don't need, things you don't use, things that are broken, things that don't fit in the space that you have, which we've lived in an RV as well. So when people are like, well, my house is tiny. I'm like, I get it. Like we lived in an RV with three kids. Like whatever the space that you have is the space that you have. So that's decluttering. Organizing is shifting things inside of your house. It's often confused with decluttering, but it's shifting things within your house, you know, like saying, well, it's on the kitchen counter and it needs to go in a cabinet or it needs to go in a closet or it needs better bins or 
I need some better storage to put over the door, right? Like that's organizing. It's shifting things to fit better or, you know, to be, to look more arranged or more cohesive. And it has a purpose, but if you have too much stuff in your house to begin with, the organizing is never really sustainable and is a never ending quest. And it can become very exhausting if it's too much for you to manage because it's never going to end. You're going to do it and it's going to come undone. And then you're going to feel like something's wrong with you. And that's when we start telling ourselves things like, I'm too unorganized. I'm too messy. I'm too this, that, lazy, whatever. And it's not you, it's your stuff. And then cleaning and cleanliness is, you know, like to me, wiping down your counters, sweeping, mopping, vacuuming, scrubbing your toilets, like (laughs) those kinds of things. And I think that like for me, I also am on like the ADHD spectrum. And so I'm like explosively messy is what I tell people. Like I am just explosive. And if you are on this spectrum, we have this very quirky, slightly annoying thing where like if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. So I need my stuff in sight. <laughs> like I need stuff on the counters. I need stuff where I can see it or I'm going to forget about it, which means that I'm going to buy it again or I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, I lost it and I can't find it. Like I need another one. And so it's like this unique thing of having to set myself up to have things out and available. <laughs> and that can become, it can feel like it's cluttered, especially if you have a lot of stuff. So there's that. I'm naturally explosive, naturally messy. I kind of leave a trail of <laughs> destruction around me on a daily basis. But because I have decluttered, the key is that I can recover quickly. So at the end of the day, before I go to bed, I can like go around the house and like put it back where it goes. And kind of reset, which is literally what we call it in our group is the nightly reset. It's like, go behind, go behind myself and clean up after myself because things got messy, right? <laughs> things got crazy. And not everybody's like that. You know, some people are more naturally organized. I don't think I'm very naturally good at organization, you know, like labels and bins and those kinds of things. I'm, I'm, it's overwhelming to me, even when I have a small amount of stuff. But the key is to find your own threshold of what you can manage on a day-to-day basis, what fits in your space. And then if you live with other people, you know, kids especially, staying within their threshold too. Because if it's overwhelming for you to try and keep up on it and to keep it clean and to keep it organized and know where things go, it's pretty much a guarantee that it's also overwhelming for the people that you live with. And everybody's got different thresholds. So it is a balancing act of, of finding that. But those are kind of the key definitions. Was that helpful? It is. And to be clear, did you cover what cleaning was and did I miss it? I kind of briefly covered it because it's my least favorite. <laughs> but it's, <you> know, it's, <laughs> it's doing things like wiping down your counters, sweeping, mopping, cleaning your toilets, the things. And cleaning has a purpose, obviously. So does organizing. So does decluttering. But cleaning and organizing become easier to do regularly when you've decluttered. Like for example, for me, it used to be like before I could vacuum or sweep, I had to spend 15 minutes picking up the floor. If you have less clutter, those piles of stuff are, they're still going to happen because you are a person with stuff. But the key is that instead of it taking 15 to 20 minutes, you can get the floor picked up in three to five minutes and then you can vacuum or mop or you can clear the counters off. That was another one for us in the kitchen was like, 
It takes us 15 to 20 minutes just to put the stuff on the kitchen counters away so that I can wipe the kitchen counters down. Same with the bathroom. Like I've got to move everything off of the sink before I can clean the sink. So yes, that's cleaning and decluttering and even organization will make cleaning easier. But I think sometimes we kind of put like the cart before the horse and think that we have to just be more clean. We have to be cleaner people or get a better cleaning schedule. And if you would do the other parts first, that cleaning, it just gets naturally easier. Not that it's enjoyable, but it gets easier. (laughs) I find my brain feeling like motivated to do some of these things, just hearing that. And it's like, I think it's when I can focus on the pleasure I get from these things or the function, you know, with what you're talking about in the kitchen. I know a lot of people who feel so overwhelmed with doing dishes. I'm one of them too, but I I kind of waver between times where I'll wash a dish as soon as I use it, even though there's a dishwasher, which to me feels so much easier to just put stuff in the dishwasher, but then you have to take things out of the dishwasher. I get overwhelmed with that sometimes. So it's like a constant battling of where am I going to have the least amount of overwhelm? And I fluctuate a lot. I think one of the things that I've noticed about myself that's frustrating, but I'm learning to work with it more is that I am always shifting. And I actually think this is important to discuss for others because until I started to embrace my own neurodiversity and let go of shame for being different, it's really helped me versus in the past, whether it was through my mother or society, education, like all these different messages we get throughout our life that might make us feel embarrassed, guilty, or ashamed. For me, that was like feeling like I always had to do things the same way. But now that I recognize that I fluctuate so much with my energy levels, with my overwhelm levels, what I'm able to do today, or even in this moment, may be very different later today or tomorrow. So I might be able to clean a dish and a spoon off after I use it, and immediately it's done. But later today, I might feel too overwhelmed to do that and I'll just leave it in the sink. And then if it starts to accumulate, that adds more overwhelm to me and I procrastinate it even further. So it's this constant battle of like managing how I feel right now and anticipating how I'm going to feel later. I'm like, okay, if I do it now, even though I'm overwhelmed, that might prevent me from feeling more overwhelmed later. But there's also a chance that I might feel less overwhelmed than I do right now. So maybe I'll save it for later just in case it's easier for me later. I don't know if this makes sense, but I've embraced this about me. And that's been a big part of my experience with cleaning, for sure, organizing and decluttering. And I love that you defined the three because I hadn't really thought about them as three separate things. I think a lot of people say cleaning when they really mean organizing. I think some people say decluttering when they really mean organizing and maybe vice versa too. So it's helpful. I guess I am recognizing through this conversation too that what I really struggle with is organizing. Even though I'm very, I'm good at it. You touched upon the natural thing. A lot of people say to me, you're a very organized person, Whitney, but they're only seeing me in my organized state. They're not seeing me in the disorganized state that I shared. So it's important to disclose that right now I do not feel organized. Right now I have papers on my desk that are giving me anxiety because they're there to remind me to do them, just like you're sharing. If they're out of sight, they're out of mind. So I purposely put them on my desk, but they also give me anxiety sitting there because I haven't been in the mental state to handle them. 
just like I have stuff cluttered on this other side of the room. And looking at it every day gives me anxiety, but I haven't had the mental bandwidth to deal with it, to organize it. So I'm curious if A, you can relate to those emotions, Krista, and B, how does someone like me move through life? Do I just have to accept that I'm going to constantly be in this fluctuations of disorganized and unclean and organized and clean? Is it always just going to be those ups and downs? Or is there a way that I can hack my brain to be more consistent? This is a good question. So I think to a large degree, it's always going to be somewhat cyclical. Now, I have notes here, so I don't forget what I'm going to say. But there is kind of like a revolving door of clutter, which is something that we talk about, which is like sometimes people get things out of their house, but they're bringing stuff in just as quickly. And that's a really fast, like if you think of a revolving door, like that door is like spinning really, really fast. Like you're you're on this constant cycle of just like going and not really getting anywhere. One of the keys is to slow that down so that you can get the excess out of your house and bring less stuff in. And then you kind of slow that door down. But I do think that it is largely cyclical. So I have a menstrual cycle and I notice that very specifically, there's a very short cycle, like every month of like, sometimes I'm on it and I'm like way ahead of schedule. Like I can stay up late and I can wake up early for a few days. That's not all the time, but there are a few days where I've just got like all this energy. I can do all of the things. And then there is another time where I have to go to bed early and I really struggle to wake up and doing the dishes feels impossible. So for those of us with those kinds of a cycle, that happens. And I think too, that's a really good thing to remember. Whether you have that kind of a cycle, if you have a menstrual cycle or not, I think in general, like humans are just going to do that. We can't possibly sustain like a baseline flat level. <laughs> like I'm always going to be right here and it's never going to change. It's going to change. And there are going to be certain factors in your life that will change that. And that's totally okay. And the other thing that you said was that you felt like right now you're kind of in a season of disorganization. And I do think that there's a seasonality to it. Like we are coming off of the tail end of winter where generally speaking, even though you live in LA, so the weather is still beautiful. <laughs> generally speaking, this time of year, you know, we are slowing down in these kinds of ways, right? That's why we have spring cleaning because everybody's coming off of winter where we slowed down. We weren't doing as much for the last few months. You know, we kind of let things slide. We let our routines slide. We let our, we also got, you know, a lot of people had like a lot of gifts coming in for like the holiday season. And so your house has more stuff in it in general. And I think that's the, I've noticed it because the last few years I've really been trying to tune into my personal cycles. Like how do they land? <laughs> well, how do I feel during them? And I've noticed specifically that, yeah, like around springtime is when I want to start doing those things again. I want to start getting my house in order again. I want to revise my systems. I want to go through my closets and take out the things that we aren't going to wear or that we've outgrown or we don't like anymore in my closets and my cabinets and digital decluttering like we, you and I were just talking before we were recording even. So I do think it's it's partly seasonal and cyclical, whether it's lining up with the literal seasons for you or not, you're going to have some kind of a cycle of that where you're like feeling like, 
I am nailing this. Like I, I'm rocking it. Like I've got my house in control and then it's going to change and it might just change naturally and organically, or you might have a life event. You might have something come up for work. You might have a health thing. You might have a family event. You might have some, something going on in your personal relationships that are going to take away from that. And the thing that I have noticed for me is that decluttering has allowed for me to give myself grace and space with that. You know, like when I'm talking about my menstrual cycle specifically, I can let the dishes slide or messes slide for a few days and know it doesn't last forever. I can still recover pretty easily. Whereas before when we had, you know, a ton of stuff, it was like if I let up off the gas even just a little bit, I would fall further behind and then it would get really overwhelming I'm at a point now where I, I, and it's been nine years of me doing this, so don't feel bad if you're not there yet, but you can get there. I've had a lot of experience of figuring out what my threshold is, like what can I manage? And it even that, my threshold changes. Like the more kids I have, <laughs> the less stuff I can manage, which sounds counterintuitive. You think the more kids you have, the more stuff you have. But for me, it's the opposite. Like I'm spending more time and energy pouring into the people in my house that I don't have the time and energy to manage more stuff. And so, yes, did that answer? It's going to change. It's going to shift. You're not destined to feel overwhelmed forever. And you can get to a place where it feels easier. And that's going to change. It's going to change on based on a lot of different things. It's really inspired me to do more tracking of my cycle my menstrual cycle, because something that I've done only lightly, but thinking about it in the way that you described, I'm sure there are key parts of the month where I do feel a little bit more energized versus tired. And I've started actually tracking the days where I feel pain, physical pain from my cycle, because those are the days I know that I need to do barely anything. I know that my brain doesn't feel like it's functioning as well. My body's not. If I'm in pain, I I don't want to be recording a podcast, for example. I don't want to be having meetings on those days. So I've blocked them off my schedule for the month. But what I haven't done is kind of the opposite, whereas finding the times where my cycle has made things maybe feel easier, like maybe I feel more energized, maybe I feel like I can get certain things done with more ease than others. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because I hadn't even thought to add those days to my calendar and I'm sure they're there. But without the awareness, without tuning into our bodies, I think it's easy to disregard. And I also think you bring up some, such an important thing is the difference between our, our physical bodies as somebody that has a cycle versus somebody who doesn't and how I'm learning more and more how many systems are set up for people that don't have those cycles, right? I mean, we have so many patriarchal systems that were designed with men in mind, right? Or, or you know, people that don't have the menstrual cycle. So maybe some of the shame is related to that. Maybe it's that not taking in the inclusivity of our different bodies. And there's so many factors with our bodies too. It's, it's For me, I think a lot of it as like a mental thing, especially those of us who are neurodivergent. We are also set up in a system that is designed for someone neurotypical. So there's a lot of shame if your brain works differently. And that's been really freeing to recognize 
that it's actually okay if your brain works differently. It's not something that you should feel ashamed about. But also, what if your body works differently? And keeping in mind that all the different factors that go into not just our biological gender, but our age and our, I'm trying to even find the words, uh, take not, you know, some of us don't even realize how much the system set up for abled body people, people that don't have a physical limitation or a disability or a challenge, whether that's permanent, whether that's temporary. And I imagine things like cleaning are really tough. I mean, how many systems are set up for somebody who is in a wheelchair or who's smaller or taller or somebody who has an injury or somebody who is sick and unable to do some of these things. I'm sure there is so much frustration and shame around that. And I'm curious, does that come up in your work? And how do you support people basically who don't fit into the current cultural status quo? Yes, it does come up. And I will say that I am blessed to be physically healthy and active. And I have that. Now, I will also say, and I'm not comparing this to, you know, to disabilities or anything like that, but I have had four babies and there is a huge span of time where I cannot, I am in, I'm in full recovery mode. I can't sleep. I don't eat well. My body is recovering with like, you know, a huge internal wound (laughs) from having these babies. I'm breastfeeding. The hormones are just really overwhelming. And while that is temporary, it's hard. It's really hard. And that's probably the biggest hurdle that I come up with because I I serve mostly mothers is them feeling really bad because they're pregnant and they don't have the energy or they just had a baby and they don't have the energy or they are dealing with physical pain or they had to have a C-section, which is a major abdominal surgery or We are in a society that doesn't support mothers in the postpartum phase. They're like six weeks, get back to work. I'm like, I still have stitches. Like, Go back to work? What? Which is what I had to do after my first babies that we had. So I'm not comparing it to, I'm not comparing that experience to, you know, a disability or an illness that, you know, is chronic. But I just, I've had, I think mothers, (laughs) it is similar. We are exhausted and we don't have the basic access to first of all, information about how to deal with our energy levels or our hormones. Accessibility of care for anybody is not really here in the United States. I'm sure you have listeners outside of the United States, so I'm jealous of you. (laughs) But the chronic illness also does come up. And my suggestion is to always stick within your means and don't feel bad about it just accept acceptance. I think acceptance is huge. If you can accept where you are, that is powerful because you, by doing that, you give yourself grace, you give yourself understanding. And by doing that, you put yourself into a problem solving mindset where you can find creative solutions. You can be more willing for me if I just accept where I'm at, which is hard for me. <laughs> I'm more personally willing to ask for help or to creatively seek help, especially if it's something where, you know, I have to ask family and friends to do something awkward for me, like come help me with my dishes or my laundry because I've got two babies on me and I've got mastitis and (laughs) everything hurts, right? Or getting creative in funding and financing things, like saving up money to pay for things, whether it's a lawn service or a cleaning service or a laundry service, 
but it's a sensitive subject because I know that it's not easy. It's it's an uphill battle. And so I like try to acknowledge that it is an uphill battle and also empower and encourage people that there are solutions, even if they're slow, even if they are small, there's always something that you can do. And I really try to be mindful of that in the things that I teach. And I do think it is something that I've I've improved on a, a lot just because I've seen so many scenarios like this where I've taken for granted my physical health. So yeah, teeny tiny bite-sized pieces is how I teach everything. (laughs) Not Marie Kondo style where she's like, oh, just take it all out and put it on your bed. And you're like, I don't have eight days to do that at once. Like that's not going to work. So I do teach bite-sized pieces that are easily done by moms who are very busy with very tiny pockets of time, but also work better for people who you know, who have varying degrees of of their health and abilities. That's really helpful too, because I was had a conversation with somebody recently about how the Marie Kondo style sounds great in theory. I've done it myself. I really enjoyed it. I find that structure and instructions help me a lot at times when I'm in a space where I can do that without getting overwhelmed. And I found that taking everything out, you know, like all my clothes and putting them on the bed forced me to get it done before bedtime because otherwise I'd be sleeping on clothes, to your point. But there are times where I would probably just push the clothes off the bed and sleep just, you know, not putting them back yet because I was too overwhelmed to finish it. And this is what came up in this conversation. It's like, what if you have so many clothes that just taking them all out at once is incredibly overwhelming and and super time consuming and not everybody is going to have the energy or the time to do those things. So I'd love to hear more about the bite-sized tips that you have and and some starting points for people before they dig into more of your work through your website and your podcast, which I'm going to link to for everyone listening. If you want to learn more from Krista, you will find all of the resources at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You'll find the full transcript and the quotes. The video will be there eventually of us talking and links to connect with her. So I would love like a little sneak peek of some of these bite-sized teachable moments and steps that you can take. Where do you begin? And especially for someone who feels overwhelmed by decluttering, organizing, and cleaning. Great question. So there's two spots of the house that I recommend, like just teeny tiny projects that pretty much anybody can do that feel like a quick win. Like you see quick success, a quick win, you get excited, it feels doable. And that is number one, under the sink. I'm going to write down real quick because I want to tell you about clothes too. I don't normally talk about clothes, but that's a good one. Like under your sink, whether it's your kitchen sink or your bathroom sink, it doesn't really matter. But under the sink is generally full of things that are fairly easy to make a decision on, right? You don't have like sentimental photos or... (laughs) or like special clothes or something like that under your sink. It's typically old cleaners, like old sponges, rags, like duplicate products that you forgot that you had, and generally things that you can get rid of pretty easily. And what ends up happening is that you do that. You get rid of a lot of stuff. You see how clean and clear it looks out under there. And you realize like, oh, that wasn't so hard. I was able to do that. It feels really great. And a lot of times it builds enough momentum for you to move on to the next thing. So maybe you're doing under the sink and then you decide, well, all of a sudden I have like room 
to put all of the stuff that's on the sink into the cabinet. And now your, your cabinet is clear and now you can wipe it down and now things fit better. And it kind of just, it's some momentum and it trickles into the other areas so that you can keep going. Another area like this is a spice cabinet in your kitchen because you can do that pretty easily while you're cooking or just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I tend to gravitate to the kitchen. And so I'm in there a lot. Maybe it's because I have a lot of kids who are always hungry, but you open up the cabinet, pull your spices out and get rid of the ones that are expired. A lot of times we don't even realize that we have expired spices or packets or or food or, or whatever. And you can clear that out pretty easily. And again, similar to under the sink, you know, it's not a lot of sentimental things, pretty easy stuff. Like a thing that happens a lot in the motherhood simplified group is they're like, I had three cinnamons so they consolidate it into one cinnamon thing. And it just clears the space and it gets you back in touch with like what you actually have, gets you a little bit more excited about cooking. Or if I, I don't know if I'll ever get excited about cooking, but you know, I'm like, it's less dreadful. <laughs> and then it, it's the momentum effect too, of like, I did my spice cabinet and my drinking, you know, where they have coffee cups or mugs or whatever also need to be done. And you can do that real quick. And it's just kind of a, a simple way to get started and not feel overwhelmed by the process. It's not so daunting. And there are spaces that will have a, you know, somewhat of an impact on your day to where you'll be like, I did it. I feel really good about that. And it wasn't that hard. And you start to realize that you can make a lot of progress in, you know, five to 10 minute increments. And sometimes under your sink might take you, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, maybe more. But the point is that you started and you just decided, I'm going to start with one thing, literally just one thing. And it's something that we talk about a lot in the motherhood simplified space too, is literally just one thing. If you can get one thing out, then you can get two, then you can get three. And it's, yeah, that's how small sometimes like we have to start is like just that counter, that, that piece of paper on the counter or whatever it might be. And then the other thing that you said that I wanted to touch on was clothes because clothes are typically like a very big project for a lot of people, big in volume because we have a lot of clothes, but also big and that they tend to hold a lot of emotional weight for us too, because, you know, maybe especially for moms, you know, our bodies literally, you know, like me, I double in size and then I shrink back down and there's a lot of feelings behind that. And it's hard to go through clothing. It's emotionally charged. There's also just a lot of it. So it can feel overwhelming, like to do Marie Kondo style, like pull it all out and make the decisions on it. When it comes to clothing, you can do kind of the same concept of like just one thing. There's probably something in your closet that you literally never wear, right? Or maybe several things that you just don't wear and you're like, maybe I'll wear it one day. But you know you never have and you can get rid of it. Or maybe you have clothing that you're like, I'll fix that zipper or I'll fix that button and you never do. Or you have things that are just worn out and so you don't even want to wear them anymore, but you keep them because you're invested in it. You've had it for a long time. So why would you get rid of it? Getting rid of those things that are just, they've just lived their life and it's time to let them go. Things that don't fit anymore, or maybe it's for your old season of life. Maybe you were a working professional and now you work from home and so you don't need those those business suits anymore. You can get rid of most of them or especially for moms, you know, like we just don't wear heels like we used to. So we don't need all of them or, but when it comes to clothing, you can find those little things, those little things that are easy, like the easiest decisions, like find the things that are the easiest to make a decision on the things that don't fit, the things that are worn out or broken, 
get rid of those, start to clear some space and you don't have to rush it. Like you don't have to do it all in a day. You can just fill up a bag, let it go and do it again. And that goes back to kind of the revolving door of clutter that we were talking about. If you are going to get rid of these things, it's really important to be mindful of what you're also bringing in because you can fall into that cycle of like just a really fast revolving door of like stuff goes in, stuff goes out, and then you won't get ahead. So if you are going to consciously and intentionally choose to declutter as much as possible, make sure to also be conscious and intentional about the other end of it of things coming in and what you're actually bringing in. Yes. And that leads me to something I wanted to touch upon too, which is minimalism. In one of your descriptions, you wrote how to declutter without becoming a full-blown minimalist. And I love that because I'm very curious about your thoughts on minimalism. You touched upon ideas around that, such as moving across the country, you had to minimize everything and leave things behind. And it really got you to focus. And I'm not sure if that would fully fall into a minimalism category, but it it basically put you in that place, at, at least temporarily, where you had to think about what was necessary, what was important. And then also living in an RV, I'm sure it was a very similar experience there. It reminds it, me of when I've done my multi-month cross-country road trips and how each time I've done it, I've had to think about the basics. Like, what are the items that I absolutely have to have and how few of them can I take with me because my car is small and I need space in there, you know, and the camping trips and all that. Like, it just changes the way you think about eating and and the clothes that you're going to wear. And like, suddenly you realize you just don't need very much and it's very freeing. And every time I do one of those trips, I come home and think, I'm just going to declutter everything. I'm going to live more of this minimalism mindset. But then I don't <laughs> because it's like the reality of having to strip away things. I actually found myself envying you in that position of having to do it in order to move. Because again, for me, a lot of times I'll procrastinate until I have to do something. I'm an 11th hour type of person. I think that's one of the classic ADHD symptoms of just like waiting until you actually have to do it because then suddenly I have the energy to accomplish it. But every moment leading up to it, I'm just like, how far can I push this back? How much longer can I wait? And maybe that's why trips feel easier for me because it's like, well, I'm going to leave for this trip. I have to do this. Or if I'm going to move, I have to do this. But if those circumstances aren't happening, I'm kind of not in that minimalist mindset as much as I find joy in it. So I'm curious where you fall in this. What do you define as a full-blown minimalist? Why do you feel like that is hard to achieve for most people? And is there kind of more of a balance that you can find that still brings in the benefits of minimalism without actually doing it all the way? Well, yes. And thank you for being honest about the being in the position where we had to like just get rid of everything and go because I tell people all the time like that was a unique experience and I truly don't know if I didn't have that experience if I ever would have done it or figured it out I just you know it was such a unique experience but I learned so much from it that I'm like let me show you how to do it without going so extreme so I think that the problem with minimalism or the word minimalism is that it makes people feel like it has to be extreme. It makes people feel like it has to be all or nothing or like it has to look a certain way 
or you can only have a certain amount of things, or it just ends up becoming more of like a bunch of rules and a bunch of like, like status symbols almost of like, well, I'm a minimalist. And so this is what we do and this is how we do it. And this is what we have. And this is what we don't have, especially it's pretty common for moms to have like, well, I only have these kinds of toys or we only buy like these kinds of clothes. And it's like that defeats the whole purpose because the whole purpose of decluttering and simplifying, I think in my own personal opinions and beliefs is that you should make your house work for you. Like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, make your house work for you instead of it becoming a source of work for you. And that's going to look different for everybody because, and it's going to look different for everybody because we've all got different abilities. We all have different thresholds of what we can manage. We all have different values. We all have different sized houses. We have different amounts of people living with us. We have different, you know, family dynamics, whether you're, you know, a step parent or not, or you don't have any kids at all. Like it's just way too restrictive. And I think that the minimalism term, right? The stereotypical minimalism term is that it has to look a certain way and it has to look like these extremes. And I think that what we did when we moved from Alaska to Florida was extreme. (laughs) And that's why I, I tell people like, don't do that. Like declutter without doing that, without going extreme, without thinking that it has to be some set of rules that somebody else made up (laughs) that they probably didn't even make up anyway. You probably just have it in your head because you look at Pinterest and Instagram and you see these people doing these things and it's not attainable and it's not sustainable and shouldn't be trying to do minimalism so that you can have the illusion of some kind of a life that's really easy. You should be doing it so that you actually can, you can live that way. You can actually feel that relief And through your decluttering process, like it's going to come in layers. It's going to come in layers where you're like, I did under the sink and I felt better. And now I need to do something else. Like it's going to happen in layers. And eventually you'll get to a stage where you're like, this feels good. And like we were talking about with the cycles, like it's going to, stuff's going to come back in again, or you're going to hit a hard season of life, or you're going to have a health thing come up, or you're going to have a relationship issue. And it's going to feel a little bit harder again. But then you can start to gauge like, Is the way that I'm feeling because of something that's actually going on in my life? Or is it the clutter that's like telling me things like, you're too unorganized, you're too messy? Because while I'm not immune to those feelings, it has helped me separate it of like, am I feeling disconnected from my spouse? Am I feeling disconnected from my work? Am I feeling disconnected from my my kids? Like myself, I don't know if I said that yet, but, (laughs) or is it like, is my house really overwhelming me. Like, cause we are at the end of the day, just, you know, we interpret things through our senses. And so looking at piles of stuff, looking at a sink full of dishes affects our minds and it does affect our emotions. And so, yes, I don't remember where I was going with that, but what did you think? <laughs> I really appreciate the approach that you take to this. I mean, the biggest takeaway I have is that there's no one size fits all approach. And that's so helpful. Because like I said, and one of the big themes of my experience with all of this is feeling like I need to do things in a way that doesn't actually work for me. And that is something that I'm noticing more and more that there are so many messages that we have about things like how our houses should look 
that cause people to feel so much shame. I think it's so common for someone to feel embarrassed when somebody comes over. It's like that fear of, oh my gosh, what if somebody shows up unexpectedly and they see my house for what it really looks like? I think when we started doing more Zoom sessions with people during the pandemic, there's a lot of apologies that we make for our backgrounds or the need to, like I do, set things up to look a certain way just so that that's what the camera sees. But the reality is that outside of the camera lens, it looks differently and it's not reflective of what I want people to think about me, you know, and and that's really at the core too. It's not just about how we feel about ourselves, but it's all these fears that we have about other people judging us. And that's tough. So there's pressure. But the problem with that pressure is it's not always good pressure, I suppose. And I don't want to carry around shame, embarrassment, or guilt for what my place looks like because at the end of the day, it's my place. And yes, it reflects the state of who I am in that moment, but that's okay. Maybe embracing more of it and not feeling all these fears around what other people, how other people perceive me is part of the key too. You know, I think women, especially culturally, carry a lot of that burden of feeling like they have to constantly keep up with the appearance of it all when deep down inside, it's the last thing that they want to do because they would rather spend more time with their families. They would rather spend more time with their passions. They would rather use that time to rest and take care of their bodies. So I love that you have this big message of figuring out what works well for you. That is such an amazing takeaway. And Krista, you have such a, a wonderful way about you that feels so accepting and like you're there for us and you're going to help figure this out and you've created all these systems. So I really would love to know what is the next step for someone after listening to this, if they're curious about the work that you do, what do you offer through your wonderful website, which I will link to as mentioned in the show notes for this episode. When someone goes over there, where do they begin with you? Yes. Okay. Can I tell you one thing and then tell you that? A hundred percent. Okay. Just because I love what you were talking about, like feeling like that shame and pressure around our houses. So I had that before I decluttered to where I was like, oh my gosh, like people come over to my house. They're going to judge me because it's messy. They're going to be like, she's a hot mess. (laughs) Right. And I don't think anybody ever did that. And if they did, like that's their own problem. That's not a reflection of me. But what I found after I decluttered was I still had those feelings of shame where people would come over and my house is clean. And I would actually find myself saying things like, I spent all day cleaning and I was lying through my teeth because I did not, but I didn't want people to think like I'm lazy or I, you know, I'm not like them. Like, cause that's one thing that happens a lot of times. It's like, we share these things with our friends of like, oh, my house is such a mess. Like I always have to, I'm always, especially in like mom circles of like just commiserating and not commiserating to be like, oh, feel bad for me. But like, it's hard. And so those are the things that we talk about. And all of a sudden, when I didn't have that anymore, I also felt feelings of shame. So I thought that was a really interesting experience because what I discovered is that it was, it didn't matter the circumstances. I was judging myself unfairly, no matter what my circumstances were. And that was a really powerful realization for me of like, now 
most days I'm at a point where it doesn't matter if my house is a mess and it doesn't matter if I just cleaned over the weekend and it looks amazing. Like if you come to my house, I'm just excited that you're there. That's it. I'm not going to apologize for it. And I'm not going to throw it in anybody's face that my house is so clean, right? I'm not like going to take a picture and be like, look at my house. (laughs) I got my house clean. I'm not going to do that. It's just like, it is what it is. And I understand that sometimes it's a mess. There's seven people who live here. That's just what happens. And sometimes I am great and I've got it all put together, (laughs) but it's not a reflection of me as a person at all no matter what end it's on. And so I thought that was a really interesting thing that I that I learned. And I do see other moms who I help having that same experience of they're like, I feel bad. Like like my husband came home from work and he's like, the house looks amazing. And she's like, and I feel bad telling him that I took a nap. Like <laughs> I didn't even do anything. And then they're like feeling they're still judging themselves. So decluttering really helps you unpack those kinds of things that you probably didn't realize about yourself and how hard you really are on yourself. But- For the next step, I do have a little checklist that's full of tiny little projects that you can do in like 10 to 15 minutes. So it's got like 22 little projects that you can do that are like five to 15 minutes, depending on your energy levels and and the space, you know, how much you actually have. It also has inside of it a little bonus, like just in case workshop is what I call, like taking you through the process of if you struggle with like, well, I feel like I need to keep this because what if I need it? Or I'm going to keep it just in case, or I could use it for this, which is one of the top things that moms get hung up on or anybody gets hung up on. It's like, just in case, (laughs) what if I need it? What if I have to replace it? It's like a 15 minute workshop with a little you know, sheet to go through and help you work through that process, questions to ask yourself. It's got some other little bonus things in there that I can't remember off the top of my head because I'm always adding to it, to be completely honest. (laughs) Like as things come up, I'm like, oh, I should add that. So I would say that's the best place to start. I do monthly challenges for now. I don't do them all the time, but I'm in a season of life right now where I can do those monthly where they're just week-long challenges. Next month, we're doing paper clutter. Every month is just a different area of the house based on what everybody wants to do. So we've got that. I've got like a toy decluttering course, clothes decluttering course, declutter your whole house course, the podcast. I have a podcast and it's all at motherhoodsimplified.com as well as social media. You offer so many amazing resources. I'm so grateful for it because someone like you that feels so loving and accepting and takes the approach to all of this in the way that you do is so appealing to me (laughs) because I think just the first step is not feeling like I have to change myself. You know, I have to fit a mold. And that's something that I've associated with a lot of the cleaning mentality, or it's like, I have to buy all of these things. And I, I think we see this a lot on social media. It's like buying the new organizational products or buying the new cleaning products. And that all sounds great, but you know, budget's a concern too. And I love that you take these simple steps that you can probably start doing right away and shift your way of wanting to do things and thriving. And I just want to show my gratitude for all of that, Krista. I think it's just lovely. You're a wonderful human being that's given me so much joy and inspiration. I feel like after I leave this recording, I'm probably going to want to do some decluttering and cleaning just because I feel good around you. And that's probably the greatest (laughs) part of your work is 
helping people feel good first that they want to do these things. So thank you for doing that for me. I imagine the listener may feel similarly. And I will link to your wonderful website and your social media over at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You can go find the whole transcript if you want to read back and see some of these tips. You'll find the quotes there. You'll find the links. And I really hope that you go check out what Krista does if this has resonated with you in the way that it has for me today. Thank you so much for being here, Krista. Yes. Thank you so much. That was an amazing compliment. I appreciate (laughs) it. That's really how I hope to come across is like, nothing's wrong with you. Let's just get rid of Mm. your stuff. (laughs) Ooh, I love that. (laughs) It's a great note to end on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.